welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, a history of the Thirty Years' War. Funny enough, this episode is actually coinciding with my birthday, so this should be coming out either the day before or the day of my birthday, depending on how long editing takes. But last week, we covered the aftermath of the rebellion and sort of the ongoing Habsburg victory march, as I called it. And like the end of last week said, we are going to cover the Eighty Years' War and a little bit of other diplomacy outside of the HRE and that sort of stuff. So without further ado... Let's begin. So just to give you guys a little context, because this other word is there's a whole podcast to itself, and there might be one out there. I haven't checked personally. The Thirty Years' War, partially intersected. The Eighty Years' War. Uh, I'm mostly using Wikipedia. Wikipedia is relatively useful for finding, like, base information, and then you can dig further in if you want to get actual source books. So if any study, I mean... You can take it on my word, but Wikipedia is good for general introductions and finding sources that you can potentially use for other things for research, especially historically and topics that aren't really sort of political or that aren't edited a ton. The Eighty Years' War was a conflict between the Spanish Netherlands and the Spanish Empire. I will post a map of the Netherlands, or what was called the Spanish Netherlands at the time, on my website. That will be in the description of this episode. In short, that war was mainly due to religious conflicts and resentment against Spanish authority by the people in the Netherlands. It was kind of a Protestants, especially in the cities, versus the Spanish being Catholic. It officially started in 1566 and went on for about 40 years until there was a truce in 1609, which is the 12-year truce, which I mentioned before that the Catholics and the Protestants are worried about. Basically, a truce came about because both sides were overextended money-wise and supply-wise, but the end effect of the truce was it damaged Spanish prestige because a small part of their territory was rebelling against them, and they couldn't quash it. The collapse of the Protestant Union had little to do with the resumption of the war. Due to, one, there was a lingering disunity among Protestants, and as I'll cover later, the Spanish and Dutch were worried about more than just what's going on in Germany. On part of the political side of, the, of Spain and the Dutch, they saw the war as a way to maintain their dominance of the government, as in the relevant leaders and various territories. On the Dutch hand, the truce had done a bunch of damage to Dutch unity, economically and religiously. Economically, it opened up the market to other countries such as England, France, other people who brought goods into the Dutch, meaning that a lot of the local people couldn't compete with some of the bigger countries and their maybe higher quality goods. So those who actually gained economically during the war from just economic goods did not like the truce. And those who profited from war also were not big fans of the truce, either in a, either politically or economically. On the religious front, there was a divide between Calvinists, who were more in lines of with the government and more in charge of the government type stuff, and the rural population who were either more strongly Catholic or just they were maybe more Lutheran, who just didn't like the strict moral standards that Calvinists imposed upon the people they governed. It also didn't help that there were Lutherans moving to the Netherlands because of the war. So, well, because of the Thirty Years' War that was that we covered previously. This religious conflict also led to political debate because in this timeline, religion and politics are combined. They're interfused. I don't know about all of you, but many of you, that's not a common thing that they're necessarily intertwined. The factions would use religious beliefs and structures to gain power. Like, for example, many Lutherans were more tolerant of other religions, so they would attract merchants who would rather be part of a religion that was more tolerant so they could share with more people. On the flip side, the Calvinists gained from those suffering from the war, and they wanted to assert themselves as a politically dominant religion across the Dutch Netherlands. Basically, these people 
people, especially if they're pro-war, could prosper economically as well as recover lanes that were lost during the war as it kind of went back and forth throughout the 40 or so years before the truce. And to dive into politics, I'm not going to go into detail, because maybe if I do a podcast on it, I'll go into detail. But I'm going to say names, and I didn't do as much research on this stuff, because it was just kind of a background, and there's probably a lot more to it. I wish I could, but I only have a certain amount of time. So sorry if you want to hear more. I encourage you to research on your own. But the political situation as it was, well, was there's two factions, the Gomorists and the Arminians, who were constantly at odds. Reese of Nassau, who I will cover later in a military function, he was an important Dutch figure, and not something to devote time here, because he was more than like a two-minute biography. He was a Gomorist, and through political moves throughout when the rebellion was happening, eventually got things like a secret law passed that let him arrest the opposition, as well as mob justice, or mob violence, to remove Arminian representatives from their seats. This effectively led a coup where the Gomorists took over, but there was backlash in the form of people revolting slash rioting because they were worried about slash afraid of the House of Orange's monarchical tendencies. And if you recognize the term House of Orange, you probably have heard of William of Orange, aka the eventual King of England, or at least the King Consort. Um, Prince Consort, I don't know what title he had, but and they married into the Stuart line until the Hanoverians took over. But back on topic, post-coup, Maurice of Nassau, who was, again, the main political figure, he refused to get fully involved in the Thirty Years' War. He sent some support, but he was mostly thinking about keeping the Dutch state safe and drawing away the Spanish. Because if the Spanish could get heavily involved in the Thirty Years' War, their resources would be drained and the Dutch wouldn't. He was a political realist in that sense of, he, yes, he was a, a Protestant and sort of believed in that cause, but he was a Dutch nationalist, is what we'd call him nowadays, but that's not a term you'd apply to people back then. He wanted to keep his options open, so he kept out of the conflict on either side officially, although it was known that he, there was some support from him to Frederick and, and the rebellion. On the Spanish side of the debate, as time went on and it reached into 1622-1621, the hardline nobility, who were more opposed to this truce and more a long-term peace, they started opposing harsher demands on a treaty slash extension of the truce. The Spanish, at least by their sort of representative, claimed that they had spent too much treasure on the war against the Dutch in order to stop it. And basically, if they stopped, it would damage the prestige of the Spanish crown, make them look weak. Whether or not you believe that's true or not, I leave that to you. But it seems like to me, at least, he wanted to keep fighting the war for prestige as well as trying to maintain Spanish power across Europe, which at this time they were still relatively powerful, as England and France had not really ascended to the powers that they would be later in the century and into the next century. The easiest demands they put on the Dutch were the extension and sort of effective implementation of religious freedom in the Dutch Netherlands, which, while technically existed under their, I guess, what we call a constitution, but although the term to save me at the moment, it was effectively being suppressed because the Calvinists were pushing down on the, on the Catholics. The harder demands, though, were they demanded the Dutch stop interfering in the West and East Indies and to lift the blockade of Scheldt, which was strangling Antwerp's economy, which Antwerp was under the control of the Spanish at the time. But the problem with was Maurice could not accept these terms due to a loss of support if he did, because that would weaken his position and pretty much show that he was just going to give what the Spanish wanted. He hoped the talks would collapse so he could be given military authority by the General Assembly of the Dutch Netherlands to act militarily. 
And the Spanish were also in a similar position to the Dutch in that they could not afford to get fully involved in the war. But again, like I mentioned before, they did send some troops and military support to people like Tilly in order to contain the German rebellion and contain the German princes that were still fighting in the, what is the HRE. So in short, the Dutch and the Spanish were basically both too focused on each other to really provide support to either side, be that the Habsburgs of Austria or just the Protestant Rebellion. And they were caught up in their own internal politics, which is why they were not as big a feature as they were in the previous season. And other Protestant kings had their own opinions about the post-war and the general supporting of the rebellion. Christian IV of Denmark said that Frederick was effectively usurper, and that it also that he went against a more powerful opponent in without gathering support or a lot of support beforehand. However, still sympathetic to the Protestant cause, sent around five thousand men to his German holdings in the south of, of Denmark to put pressure on Saxony and Ferdinand. But in the end, it really wasn't that effective, and it just kind of raised tension with the Saxons and worrying, especially when he imposed tolls on the towns in northern Germany that he grabbed for a short amount of time, which led to actually drawing the ire of the Dutch because that made trade more expensive and they were already sort of at a breaking point. Christian was also not in a position to oppose Ferdinand publicly due to his sons being in the HRE as Lutheran administrators, which meant that he couldn't act against him, which he won a couple of years, but it made it hard for him to support an active rebellion. And once again, we jump back to England. England was a relatively inconsistent power for support. Like we know before, they kept dragging their feet on whether they were going to support Frederick, they did occasionally send expeditions of men to support the Protestant cause, which to a certain extent was actually expensive and was there was up to tens of thousands of men over over a longer time period of volunteers that were going over to fight for the Protestant cause. However, it was mostly to maintain their image and not really as an effective aid to fight the cause. One source I will be using later when we get to him is there's a Scottish mercenary who fought for the Protestant side, and he actually is a really fun um, primary source that I'll use. God, the English in that. But yeah, so English, Scottish, and Irish mercenaries were regularly involved in the war. And interestingly enough, if you actually measure in terms of money and n number of men that were brought, the English actually brought what probably is comparable to what Sweden would bring later, but because it just was so haphazard and wasn't unified and didn't bring like 10,000 men at once sort of thing. It was not very influential or didn't change the balance of power much in the war. You can say it's unfortunate, but it's just an interesting twist that the English were not actually helping out the Protestants despite being relatively hardcore Protestants at the time. I just want to thank you all for listening in. Please check out the social media in the description. You can email me at 3decot at gmail.com. A reminder, I have a Patreon if any of you wish to support me. Next week, we talk about other foreign allies and the continuing Habsburg victory march as they kind of just keep showing off. See you next time. <laughs>